Hey guys, welcome to the debrief. This is after our episode with Eric Peters. Eric Peters, the CIO and founder of One River Digital Asset Management. Also, One River Asset Management, the digital part is just half of what they're due now. Um, I think it's the bigger half now. Or will <laughs> be. If, if, will if be. not, then it will be, yeah. Uh, we had to take a quick uh, intermission, David, because you went to the dentist, man. Yep. You, you feeling okay? Uh, well, when yeah, if the listeners want to have a good time, they can watch my lips not do, <laughs> not exactly do the right thing, but I think the speech is going to be okay. That's awesome. So while you were in the dental chair, you know, get, getting, um, mm-hmm. getting some procedure done, I'm sure you were thinking about this podcast a little 100%. bit, maybe it's yeah. circulating your brain. So what were some of your takeaways? Well, I think this is not going to be the last time that we see the last of Eric because the guy is a clear thinker with, um, a lot of information. He's a smart guy. And I think that this could be just a first introduction uh, for him doing crypto stuff, crypto podcasts. And I'd like to see as he, as we know, out of our Ariana Simpson podcast, all funds will soon become crypto funds. Uh, and so uh, uh, One River Asset Management has that digital side. Of the game. Soon it's, the digital side is just going to absorb the rest of the company as soon as it's big enough. And then and then Eric will just be a crypto investor, except we'll just call it an investor at that point. But I want to see his, uh, I want to watch his trajectory as he uh, thinks more about this space and, and, and how he thinks and, and sees how that develops. Yeah, I can tell he's like really digging in. You know, he mm-hmm. said, um, uh, even just when we asked him the question toward the end about money, right? He's been like, I've been thinking about where money comes from for 30 years. Right. So he's been kind of ahead in the game. And I feel like that's, um, that's the hardest part to get over is understanding the concept of digital scarcity, right. understanding like the concept of like, what is money? Money and outside then, of, of whatever the thing the government says it is. Yeah. You kind of have to do that in order to understand the rest of the asset class and order that that's like the key to, which is why I sort of think the, not Bitcoin necessarily as an asset, but the Bitcoin story and the Bitcoin narrative is kind of the gateway to the rest of crypto, right? Totally. Like it's, it's starter knowledge. Uh, yeah. Bitcoin it's, is it's like the, the one-on-one that, course. It's the thing that breaks your paradigms and then it allows yeah. your mind to expand beyond that. Yeah. And I think that uh, that's the way a lot of us came in. That's the way I came in. Um, kind of cool to see institutional investors like this um, starting to get it. Also, like mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting toward the, toward the front end where he talked about uh, Jay Clayton coming mm-hmm. on board. He just cold called the guy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jay. And Jay was like, hey. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, that crypto stuff you've been talking about so much, the SEC, I heard, mm-hmm. your, uh, heard you getting a new job. Mm-hmm. How about you come be an advisor for a digital assets fund that we're starting? And, and Jay Clayton's like, yeah, sure. It sounds good. You know, I, I talked a lot of smack about ICOs, but I guess he appreciates the asset class. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess he appreciates um, where the space is going. And he said, um, Eric, Eric said many of the people who came on, whether it was Courtney Elwood, who's a former CIA legal counsel, Jay Clayton, um, or whether it's like the, the, uh, Alan Howard, right. Um, billionaire hedge fund legend investor, they're all very bullish on like the space mm-hmm. and even on the West or the U S's role in propagating the space. They just have like some different takes on how that happens. Maybe. But it was interesting. It's just an impressive lineup of folks he's assembled. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I think Eric really understands just some fundamental truths about 
not only investing, but kind of how the, the world works. He's a prolific writer. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to read his writing, uh, it's a treat to read in addition to the fact that it's actually just packed full of information. And so I actually want to read a line out from one of the uh, articles that you uh, told me to, uh, to read before we did this podcast, Ryan. Uh, the the uh, article is, well, it's, it's a weekend note. So it sounds like he just kind of put some notes down every every weekend or so, something. So really easy, bite-sized reading. And this one was titled, The World Belongs to Those Who Let Go. And he has a quote in here where he is quoting um, that famous uh, Chinese philosopher, Z something. I don't know. But anyways, he says- The art of work, the philosopher. Is that him? Is that him? Yeah. Well, you can tell I haven't read it myself. Um, But he says, uh, water is fluid, soft, and yielding, but water will wear away rock, which is rigid and cannot yield. And then he continues as a quote, as a rule, whatever is fluid, soft, and yielding will overcome whatever is rigid and hard. And basically, this is, in my mind, talking about what is what is adaptable and anti-fragile will always overcome the rules of the system that that try to guide it, try to rule over it, right? Rules are, sim- are literally something that are supposed to be rigid. Rules are rigid. Um, and so if you try and um, put something that's rigid around something that is meant to be adaptive and anti-fragile, well, it's always the thing that's adaptive will always win. And what he connects this to is, is to regulation. The harder, and and I think we've, we can definitely have enough data out this to back this up, the harder a nation state tries to regulate crypto, the more they shoot themselves in the foot, right? China especially, but even the United States, right? Like yeah. the harder and more rigid your rules are, the more you're just going to figure out how to um, route around. And we've seen we've seen this phrase play out in crypto throughout like its entire lifetime. Crypto routes around problems. And that's why it's so bullish and so anti-fragile. It's like, is there a problem that crypto has? Give it 18 months before it solves that solution for that. Like whatever that solution, it'll just route around it. Uh, and this is why, and I think like, this is why Eric, uh, as a thinker, really understands this space from his own pragmatic lens is that he's just wise and he can apply ancient philosophy to investing. And I think that's just really cool. Yeah. That's uh, Sun Tzu, the art of war. Sun Tzu. Oh. I think I said something else before, but uh, yes, uh, that's, um, that's like a classic business book too. It's like, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, very, very interesting philosophy. And it has a lot of like game theory, right? If my yeah. opponent does this, then I should do that. Mm-hmm. And that's how, um, Eric expressed it too, right? He's is very much like comes to the conclusion that that we've come to, which is it's in a country's uh, worst interest to actually block something or ban it or put themselves on a disadv- in a disadvantaged way relative to crypto versus other countries as long as they adopt it. So if the U.S. bans it, Europe adopts it. The U.S. loses if China. Like we've said this before, right? And he really. Um, he really seems to get that 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 game theory and kind of the, the art of war. Um, he's also, I think, you made this comment in the introduction too, very practical. Mm-hmm. I thought his his take on regulation was incredibly practical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he said in one of his notes that at first when he came across Bitcoin, and I guess he'd been following it for a while, he kind of did the thing that a lot of people did at the time say it was like 2013 or you know right. 2014 or something right. and said okay cool crypto anarchists if you think this is going to take off you don't know how much the nation states the US actually value its seniorage 
they will stop this thing out of existence. They will this is what Ben Hunt said too. It's exactly what Ben Hunt said. Ben Hunt went a little further though. Ben Hunt said what they might do is give you your, um, assign your role. I remember is something he said, which is like, okay, you can, you can be crypto, but like, you're going to be over here, right? This is the role we have for you in this narrative play that we're constructing. Mm -hmm. All right. And they'll maybe like, so Ben Hunt sort of said that and he, he seemed to imply like maybe the nation state will give crypto the role of you can be like another digital gold. like, but okay. don't ever think you can come up against our monetary okay. supremacy. And so anyway, Eric, I think felt like that at the early stages as, as many people did. Um, but now he feels like the, like it's too late. Right. If they wanted to strangle the baby, like the baby is now he's grown up, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, He's stronger, right? You know, he he can stand on his two feet, and he can fight back. And his DNA is bigger than yours. Yeah, it's too late. So it's too late for the for the U.S. to do what it was originally planning. So, so now maybe it's it's sorting, it's coming to terms with it. And it's interesting how his his take on it's it's not actually just the SEC, Gary Gensler, blessing the ETF. Right. It's the entire US government apparatus. They mm -hmm. all are part of the same executive branch. They're all part of the same Leviathan. Right. And they're all saying, okay, uh, you can have Bitcoin, I guess, and you can have Ether, I guess, right? Um, but they're not saying yes to the other things. But right. even that in itself is a massive victory when you zoom out and you look at like, where crypto started and the 10 year trajectory, everyone thought, I'm telling you, like everyone thought in the early years that this would just get choked out and die from the nation state. Mm -hmm. Look how like strong it's grown. They don't even like, they don't even want to kill it now. So now, now we're in kind of like phase two, which is all right. Now they're going to try to control Bitcoin and ether and assign them their role as, as mm -hmm. Ben Hunt says. But I'm guessing, David, they won't be able to do that right. either in this right. next phase. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I'm really, really happy that uh, uh, Eric illustrated the collaboration between all these agencies. I remember when we had Hester Peirce on and I said, Hester Peirce, Hester, I'm going to put on my like conspiracy cap because if the SEC doesn't like approve a Bitcoin ETF, I'm going to go ahead and say that that is not a move out of the, strictly the rules out of the SEC, but it's a political move that represents the interests of the unified body of the United States. And then we saw uh, something similar happen uh, where we saw some commentary about how, um, what was it? The SEC, the, first off, the Treasury tried to, uh, you know, uh, strong arm itself into a regulatory position around uh, with uh, Steve Mnuchin way back when about uh, there was some FinCEN thing and then that didn't yeah, go yeah, through. Yeah. And then the SEC tried to imp impart, uh, no, then the, or may, I can't remember. Everyone tries to fight crypto. Anyways, then the <laughs> SEC tried to do the same things with trying to get um, uh, Coinbase to uh, provide the SEC with like all the information about the users. And apparently, like from the rumors that we got, was that the Treasury didn't get what they want, so they went it over to the SEC and just go, SEC, you guys try and do this thing because we want this thing, right? And this, this is the the understanding that I've had is like you can take any granular approach to some sort of regulatory body and say like okay the SEC only does securities and like Treasury only does taxes, 
there's one unified body with one unified set of incentives. And when you, you can only predict what the nation state is going to do using that perspective. Like if you try and take the, the, what is the nation state going to do by only looking at the SEC, you're not seeing the full Leviathan. So I'm really, I was really happy to see somebody else share that perspective as to like, no, these guys all talk. They, 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 they have bridges between the agencies. They have a unified set of incentives as to protect the nation state. Uh, I'm, I'm glad somebody shares that perspective. Yeah, it is his perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of truth in it. I think there's value in seeing it as one Leviathan. There's also a value in seeing it as like there's different body parts that are doing things mm-hmm. differently, you know, and there's, you know, different kind of mechanisms in the sentence, mm-hmm. but it all is part of the same machine. But his take is basically like, crypto industry, you don't really have to worry about regulators in the US, mm. which is like, okay, if that's true, and mm. I, it feels very true, the way he presented the, like his case and what we've seen, it feels very true. Like, I'm just going to say, uh, people listening to this, don't get wrapped up in the regulatory FUD you always hear then. Regulatory just FUD, trading it. regulatory FUD, if you like sell regulatory FUD, it works out 0% of the time so far, 0%. historically, not financial advice. The it only has time not worked. It, it, will fe- it might feel like it works out sometimes because mm-hmm. the market takes a dip and it, mm-hmm. that's all reflexive is because other people think right. it's going to work Traders out. are trading on the fact that other traders are going to sell. Exactly. And it, it yeah. might, if there's a bear market, it might feel like that. But like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, crypto has already made it it's passed through the gauntlet like Mm -hmm. it's too late now there might be aspects right like privacy coins for example Mm -hmm. or like stable coins for example although i think there's going to be some like come to jesus like rectification of like stable coins Mm -hmm. and i don't know what they'll do with privacy coins in the future and, and these sort of features but i mean eric's point is like the U.S. government knows crypto is here to stay. If they want to be mean to crypto and they want to squeeze the value out of crypto, they'll do what they've always done, which is they'll tax it. Mm-hmm. They'll tax it at a higher rate if they really hate it. They'll squeeze it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how they'll get what they want out of this asset class, this industry, right? That's the mechanism that they'll use, Um and it makes a lot of sense to me, quite honestly. Like he said, worst case scenario, they don't ban it. They just shoot up the capital gains taxes on it, right? And then right. maybe citizens are, are faced with the choice of like, do I want to live in this jurisdiction? Maybe I move to a different state. Maybe I move to a different country. Like Then there's another set of sovereign individual type choices, but just seems like very pragmatic, very logical, mm-hmm. and kind of puts me at rest in sort of ignoring a lot of the noise and the FUD that we see all of the time from a regulatory perspective, whether it's somewhere in Europe or China or coming out of the US, like just ignore it, right? Like trust in the game theory of this. It's already passed through the gauntlets too. Can I use that phrase, David? It's too big to fail. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I really think that like uh, the... The United States totally would love to like go back in time and crush Bitcoin back in like 2015 or earlier. Um, but like there's a some aspect of the United States. We've been the superpower for the last three, four decades now. And now we're just resting on our laurels. Right. Like the, the uh, Senate Banking Committee. Let's see. What, what, what was it? It was the uh, uh, the Committee on Banking, Housing and, and Urban Affairs had this uh, committee that this like conference that they had and they titled it Cryptocurrencies. What are they even good for? Which just like goes to show that they just do not know 
why this uh, technology is so awesome. They are resting on their laurels. And I, I want to connect that to uh, what you just said, where, where they will just tax it. And there's always been this discussion is like, all right, do they do they capital gains tax it or do they just tax the on-ramps, on and off-ramps where they have complete control over the on and off-ramps. They have no control over crypto, but they have total control over the fiat on and off-ramps. And the thing is like, if we take a model of them resting on their laurels, I think they would accidentally assume that people will just one day use the off-ramps and then they can like, like they're waiting for you with handcuffs as, as you get off the airplane. If you're like a drug <laughs> drug lord, they're just waiting for you to like sell your crypto and send your money back to your bank account so you can yeah, buy a car or a house. But what if people don't sell? But what if people don't sell? <laughs> like what if they, what if yeah. they capital, what if they tax your capital gains on, on fiat out, outbound transfers? And then they just incentivize everyone just to go one way and to live a bankless life. That would be the yeah, Elon, Elon Ultimate Musk has, irony. Yeah, Elon Musk has the quote, fate loves irony. Yeah. That would be so amazingly ironic for us. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to tax you 80% on the way out. And then we're like, well, I guess I just won't leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, there's an element of that, right? They don't know that we don't really have to sell. I mean, right. they, mm-hmm. could, they could take, they could st- um, tax stake right? Stake ETH or something like new income, something like that. Um, you know, and I, I do think they'll continue to invest in the, you know, chain analysis companies of the world. So they try to like dox you, they know who you are and they'll get increasingly sophisticated about that. But yeah, I, um, I do think that there's a hubris of like, yeah, they're going to sell sometime, right? right. Like, yeah, well, have to go. they have to get back to dollars, don't yeah. they? Yeah, of course, because you have, you have to, to buy things in dollars. <laughs> exactly, in the real economy, right? Yeah. Um, I do think that's the case. Uh, and I do think that the U.S. in general is too cocky. Mm. They're probably too cocky with respect to, you know, China's economic rise, too. Mm. Absolutely. Um, like, you know, I think um, I, I think Eric makes the point that uh, one thing he said is... Um, China's unprecedented economic rise and their technological advances should prompt Western self-reflection. So far, it is not. I can imagine this being forced upon us, perhaps abruptly. (laughs) China's got the most sophisticated, controlled um, blockchain, in quotes, uh, digital currency strategy in the world, by Mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. And what is the US? They're still trying to figure out what crypto is good for, Mm -hmm. right? I guess it's embarrassing, man. It is embarrassing. I do, I do think it's part of this generational uh, divide as well. I think that um, one, one thing I, I feel like, David, with, with those in power right now, and, and we know this is, a, <laughs> I think Andrew Yang called it a geritocracy, right? Where we have basically the people in power word. are very old, mm-hmm. okay? They're very old. And like, what's their time horizon on fixing things into the future? We've got uh, a system that just rewards very short, election mm-hmm. cycles but then we've got individuals that just like do they care past right. 20 to 30 year time span mm-hmm. i mean i care about that right this whole concept of like um you know the one percent uh we didn't get into this but um you know we talked a little bit about being like young dumb and broke and the advantages and one of the advantages uh that eric said is, is basically time if you're young you have time right you're a billionaire in terms mm-hmm. of seconds. Like one billion seconds is something like 30 years, mm-hmm. right? So like, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you're a billionaire. You probably have at least 60 years to live, right? So you get right. billions of seconds left in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, um, a lot of the people controlling 
this country, our monetary policy, our fiscal policy, where, you know, the institutions that are set up, they're not billionaires in terms of seconds, right? And so they care about different things. Um, I think that is also part of the problem and part of this generational divide and this, I guess, like generational rebellion, maybe. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what crypto is, David. It's just like a generational rebellion. Right. Gen- um, generational reaction, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And like your your, your comment that, that you said is like, <laughs> I'll put it crassly, but waiting for people to die for crypto mm-hmm. to be adopted, yeah. right? Please, especially when like, and Andrew Yang tapped into this, like we have a political system that incentivizes incumbency, right? Which is basically in, a, in saying, in other words, we have a captured political system, right? Like yeah, there is no way forward captured. at some point, like uh, sadly, the only way forward is to waiting for the system to die out so we can replace it with younger people. Um, and when, when we were talking with it, with Eric about, um, uh, being young, dumb, and broke, like, and simultaneously, we uh, I thought was also very impressed by Eric when he, they, uh, as a fund, decided that it was time to allocate six hundred million dollars into crypto, and then they did it quickly over the next five six days. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. wow! It took me like a year and a half to learn that that's a good strategy. Uh, and what you mean do it do things quickly when you make a decision in crypto? You yeah. and you've decided that like, oh, I'm go- I, I guess I'll buy Bitcoin. You don't wait like a week, a month, or are whatever. you the anti dollar cost average in person? Yeah, well, I'm a dollar cost average in aggressively, as in like I should have zero more funds within like four weeks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't want to wait for months or years to see right. how this crypto thing plays out and then right. maybe. Start yeah, you don't. Yeah. You don't wait to be validated to start dollar cost <laughs> averaging. No. Uh, and and so I, I remember when I was young and and I don't think I'm all that dumb. So maybe just young, young and broke. Yeah. Uh, in 2017, I moved all 6,000 of my dollars from Robinhood into, into Ether. Uh, and that move worked out because that was $300 Ether at the time. Uh, and it was one of those things. Like I was in the industry of social services. I was 20, old was I? 24 or 25. Like I had no, like doing that was not any risk at all. And I was enabled to do that due to me being young and also having nothing to lose. And so, especially when we have this environment of young people who are frustrated because the economy is not including them, they are being perfectly positioned, just as we said, a a generational reaction. It just so happens that because these young people are not included in in the boomer financial system, in the boomer political system, in the boomer economy, that they, as a reaction to that, are so perfectly equipped to take all of the risk of of crypto immediately and quickly. And we've watched that happen. Uh, And so I I think Eric has been spot on with that. Well, at the end of the day, I didn't realize crypto is just just people rebelling against their parents is maybe what it is. You know, it's a big, Mm -hmm. it's a rebellion against the existing institutions that have failed us. And I think many, many in the younger generations feel it. I, I wonder if that's true with like wealthy um, elite baby boomers, if they mm-hmm. feel like the system is failing them, or right. are they perfectly content with the existing system? Right. That's why I appreciate the the self reflection that um, Eric has. Right, he's he's like fifty five. Right, he's not mm-hmm. a baby boomer, but he's a little bit younger. But but also, um, I'm sure he's part of like, I'm sure he's got a lot of money. I'm sure he talks also, to a lot of boomers too. Yes, but also he sees he sees things from the other side, and and his approach is very pragmatic. It's like if this is an inevitable trend, right? 
as an investor, even if I personally don't like the change, mm-hmm. I need to allocate money in the direction of this change, or I will be a bad investor when right. this new paradigm shift happens. Mm-hmm. So it's just, this is one thing I love about investing, David, which I didn't really appreciate before I started doing it more. Mm-hmm. It is the ultimate truth machine. Yeah. So refreshing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just like, I hear in everyone hears this. We all hear all of these opinions all over mm-hmm. the place. You know, you mm-hmm. should do that. It would be good if so-and-so did mm-hmm. this. All of these freaking opinions. Mm-hmm. And with investing, you get to say, oh, cool. You have that opinion. Let's Check bet it. on it. Check it. Yeah. Let's see who's right. Let's come mm-hmm. back in five years. Let's come back in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the market decides who's right. Mm-hmm. There's like an arbiter of truth. It mm-hmm. is so refreshing to have totally. that. It's why I'm totally drawn towards investing is because it's one of the only games in this game called life mm-hmm. that you, um, there's skin in the game in this, right? Right. Like you actually just don't have an opinion. You actually mm-hmm. like have to put your money where that opinion is and it forces truth to the surface, which yeah. I love. And I think that's been part of, you know, that's part of what Eric's saying. Absolutely. And especially it's even more true in crypto than it is in the legacy financial system because the legacy financial system is underpinned by a money printer, which keeps on distorting what the truth actually is. Um, This show will be out tomorrow uh, for on layer zero. But what you just said is actually an echoing of what Cami Russo said about why she likes journalism when it comes to financial markets, as opposed to journalism about some celebrity or some, you know, some editorial, she says she likes to be a journalist about financial markets just because like when you report on financial markets, like there is no subjectivity about the price of something or the interest rates of some bond market or something, 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 right? You can present facts and data and then layer on a story on top of that. But the nice thing about talking about things in money and finance is that the foundation is unequivocally shared apart across everyone that looks at it. Uh, which makes, uh, for her, her perspective was that that makes a, a fun thing to report on because she feels like she's actually reporting the truth about the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was reminded, I think this is a Warren Buffett quote. Um, wait, what is it? Something about over the long term, the market becomes like a, um, a, a weighing machine. Oh my God, I butchered the quote. I was going to look it up really quick as you're talking about, but um, I think I butchered the quote. But anyways, mm-hmm. that... That 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 is very true, right? It's like I, I do think you can distort financial markets in the short run, though. Like, but totally in the longer term time period, it just turns into a, a truth machine, into a into a weighing machine. Um wow. Anyway, great episode. I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about that one, David? Negative. All right, guys. Uh that was Eric Peters. Fantastic episode. I think um if if some of these crypto traditional fund managers are just like Eric. I think we should have more of them on, David. That's absolutely. Uh, that's my I mean, thought if, on that. If markets are a truth machine, the fund managers at the biggest funds should be people that are tapped into that. Hence, would be great podcast guests. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. As always, Bankless listeners, if you guys have suggestions on who should have ne- next, just hit us up and let us know. We definitely listen to all of these suggestions. Until mm-hmm. next time, this has been The Debrief. <laughs>